are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Revelation chapter 2, and we are church of Thyatira, chapter 2, we'll start reading from verse 18, Revelation chapter 2 and verse 18. I'd like to ask that you pray for the service. I think uh, it's good when not only the preacher has the burden of prayer for the service, but also the ones listening. And so as I pray, I'd like you to pray that God also would work in your heart and that uh, will come away, both of us, the preaching and the listeners, uh, blessed by God. And uh, some things are hard to preach. There's a point in this message that's hard to preach. And uh, so if you're helping me out, it might get easier to preach. Amen? If not, you won't be here Sunday. Uh, just just pre-warning you guys, all right? And by the way, I promise you that what I'm preaching is what the Bible says. And so please don't get mad at the preacher. Get mad at God. Probably don't do that either, right? All right, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do love you. Thank you for the Word of God. And thank you for saving us. And we do ask dear God for a humble spirit tonight to learn what the Bible says and teaches us uh, tonight. And I pray that Holy Spirit, you would just guide and Lord, uh, meet with us in this service. We love you. Thank you for being so good to us all the time. And thank you, Father, for the ability to meet together as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me read uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse 18, all the way down to the uh, end of the chapter. And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. By the way, if you read the letters... Uh, Jesus uh, describes himself a certain way and then he talks to the church there and if you notice he says uh, he is the son of God the highest authority and he says that he has his eyes like unto a flame of fire Uh, he can see right through he's the judge okay so the highest authority and is about to judge this church and it's about to show them things that are wrong and so he describes himself as the son of God the highest authority his eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like a fine brass. I know thy works and charity and service and faith and thy patience and thy works. And the last be more than the first. Notwithstanding I have a few things against thee because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel which calleth herself a prophetess to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you I say, and to the rest of Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden, but that which ye have already, hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give the power over the nations, and he shall rule them with the rod of iron. And I will give... Uh, uh, 
I'm sorry. And uh, he shall rule them without one. As the vessels of a potter shall they be broken in shivers, even as I receive of my father. And I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And men, help me out also. Amen would be good, all right? And uh, if it is the word of God, just say amen. And uh, that's good. It's a good, uh, you know, it's a good uh, habit to form uh, in church. If you would just say amen, that'd be great. Uh, so the, this letter right here, this section we just read, is the fourth letter of seven uh, that the Apostle John wrote while he was exiled uh, at the Isle of Patmos. Okay, and had this le- uh, these letters sent to those churches. Uh, it's the longest of the seven letters. And the Bible tells us here a little bit about the church in Thyatira. They did have many fine qualities. Notice again verse 19. It says, I know thy works and charity and service and faith and thy patience and thy works and the last to be more than the first. First of all, let me say this. It was a working church. It says there, I know thy works, he said. And uh, they were busy doing the works of God and working the ministry of the church. It would be like us, you know, singing in the choir, working in the nursery and, and running the buses and running the buses and running the buses, say my end, and running the buses, all right, teaching Sunday school and all that. A working church. And they were busy going about the work of the ministry, and uh, they were just, uh, just uh, uh, they were busy doing things for God. It says, I know thy works. And then he says, it was a loving church. It says, I know thy works and charity. It was a loving church. Uh, they had a love for God and also a love for one another. So they loved God. Now, uh, the church in Ephesus, that, that was the condemnation against them. You, you've left your first love. Not this church right here. It says, I know your charity and to, to one another and also to God. Now, their love for one another uh, made them a serving church. Uh, it says, I know thy works and charity and service. And that word service means to minister, to care for the needs of others. They were servants. Okay, and so they were a working church. Uh, they were a loving church and they were a serving church. They served one another. Also, the Bible says they had faith. It says, I know thy works and charity and service and faith. They believed in God. The word faith also includes doctrine. They had good doctrine. Okay, not only did they believe in God, but what they believed was right. Okay, so, the, uh, so this church had uh, some good qualities there. They were a patient church. That word uh, patient carries the idea of anticipation of good in the future. Uh, actually, uh, uh, one of the definitions is cheerful anticipation. Uh, they were cheerful in their circumstances because they were looking ahead for a better day. They endured patiently their circumstances. They kept their eyes on the future, which enabled them to endure the present. And by the way, that's our attitude supposed to be. We ought to always be looking ahead in anticipation of a better day because there is a better day coming. Amen. I mean, this is not it. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. And guess what? Jesus can come back anytime. And it's been closer than it's ever been. And it might be today. Amen. And so as we go through this world, let's go through it with cheerful anticipation that maybe tonight the trumpet will sound and we'll be called up to heaven. Amen. And so they were a patient church, a cheerful anticipation for things to come. 
It's a patience that is looking ahead, uh, which produces a different outlook on life. Turn to Hebrews 11, please. And we'll read a, a long passage of uh, scripture here. We got started early, so we got time. And uh, uh, it says here in Hebrews 11, uh, you know, uh, these people uh, went through situations that would have caused dismay and discouragement. But they had patience that produced a cheerful anticipation of what was ahead. In verse 8, I'm starting to read there. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out to a place which he should receive for, after he should receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And went out, not knowing whether he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. He never got rooted down. He dwelt in tents. He moved uh, from place to place. Why? In verse 10, for he looked for a city which had foundations, so its builder and maker is God. A tent or a cottage, why should I care? My, uh, they're preparing a mansion for me over there, amen. He looked for that city in heaven. Uh, the Bible says about Sarah, uh, though uh, through faith, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promise. You see, she went uh, and said, it's impossible, but you know what? I'm just going to go through with this because God said I'm going to be with child. Verse 13, this all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims of, uh, on earth. You see, our patient waiting anticipation for what lies ahead causes us to have a different outlook in life. You see, it causes us to realize, you know what? This is not it. This is not the end. I mean, eternity is just the beginning of a very long time, amen? This is not it. And um, verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And God says, you know, I want you to sacrifice your son. I said, what in the world, my son? The son of promise. And how was he able to do that? It says, accounting, verse 19, that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. And then we go through that, that chapter and, and people, uh, I mean, giving up their lives for the testimony of Christ and, and uh, losing everything. Uh, the Bible says, and, and some uh, not accepting deliverance that they might get a better resurrection, a better reward. Uh, 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 Rahab, he, she knew what was coming. The, fall, the wall was coming down. She knew that and said, you know what? I better get on the right side. You see? And with anticipation. And uh, she, she, uh, she, uh, she realized what she, she believed by faith. And, the, and Jericho was taken, but she was spared. And, uh, and so again, Hebrews 11 tells us of people that can endure things, endure circumstances. Why? They were looking for the future. They were looking for the reward. Uh, uh, Moses says, you know, uh, he esteemed the riches of Egypt as nothing. Why? He had respect unto the recompense of reward. He says, there's something better than this. And Moses gave up everything. Guess what? He got everything back and more so. And so that patient, so this church right here in Thyatira had a patient endurance. And uh, they, they had a cheerful anticipation of what was ahead. Now their patient endurance was a result of their faith. They were looking ahead. And again, that thought carries through in Hebrews 12, uh, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience 
The race that is set before us, it says, how? Looking unto Jesus, the author and what? And finisher of our faith. Our faith finishes with Christ, amen. You see, it finishes and it starts with Christ for all eternity. It says, let us run with patience this race that is set before us. Even Jesus himself uh, did the same thing. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, the joy beyond the cross. See, he endured the cross. He despised the same. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus Christ did not look at the cross. He did not look at the shame. He looked beyond those things. And, he, and, he, uh, and, and guess what? He was looking at the many souls that were going to get saved through his sacrifice. He was looking at you and I. He had us in mind that day. And so he endured and uh, endured the cross. He, he despised the shame. Why? He was looking ahead. And this church had that kind of a patience. Patience, And uh, they were looking ahead. It was a growing church. And uh, notice again that last part of verse 19. And it says, uh, uh, he repeats the, the, that statement. It says, and thy works. And then he says, and the last to be more than the first. It says, you have more works now than you did in the beginning. They were growing in their service for God. They were not content with the status quo. They kept doing more for God. They did not settle into complacency. They wanted to accomplish more for God. By the way, that's our pastor's spirit. Aren't you glad we have a pastor like that? You see, uh, God has blessed because of his spirit. He wants to do more. In fact, uh, lately you've been hearing pastors say, you know what, I don't want to do less now. I want to do more now. You see, and as we approach the coming of Christ, let's not do less now. Let's do more for God. This is not the time to back off. This is the time to go forward in the work of God. So these are great qualities for a church to have. By the way, uh, a side note here, a lesson when you're correcting someone. Always bring up the good points first. By the way, everybody's got a good point. All right, so find something good. All right, you're not as stupid as you were last year, <laughs> but you're still stupid. <laughs> I mean, I praised him first, <laughs> but but that's if you feel like if you read the the the, the letters, that's just, that's God's uh, process. He'd say something good about them, and then he corrects them, and then he encourages them. To do better. That's how we ought to correct too. Find, you can always find something good in someone. And so now we come to the correcting part. In verse 20, God tells this church about some things he was not happy about. He says, notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. What is Jesus talking about there? In order to understand what Jesus is talking about, let's get a little history on this, uh, on this city of Thyatira. About 40 miles northwest of Thyatira is the city of Pergamos. We heard about that last week. Uh, Burr Cooper taught on that city. Pergamos was a very wealthy city, a very wealthy city. 
you could call it a royal city. It was that uh, uh, well-known. It's almost like a capital of that area. But it was a very wealthy city. Because it was such a wealthy city, it was a temptation for people from other cities or other places uh, to, uh, to try to attack it and try to plunder the wealth. And so they say, you know what, well, we're getting so, uh, uh, so wealthy here and we're becoming you know, an attractive target for someone who, who might be strong enough. And so what they did, they invested heavily in the city of Thyatira, which was 40 miles, like I said, south, uh, southeast of Pergamos. And so they made it a very strong military outpost. Most of the population of Thyatira were soldiers for the purpose of protecting Pergamos. So that's a little uh, history on that. As time passed, Thyatira became a thriving and uh, manufacturing and commercial center during this time, this, uh, this time that we read the letter. Thyatira, uh, historians say, had the most organized trade unions at that time in any city in this area of Asia. Uh, there were wool workers, uh, linen workers, makers of outer garments, dyers. Remember Lydia in, in the book of Acts, a seller of purple? She is from Thyatira. Okay, and so, uh, and so dyers, potters, coppersmiths, so you would have the coppersmith union. You know, you have the dyers union, you know, the wool workers union. They had these trade unions for all these different uh, trades. In Thyatira, because uh, they were very uh, uh, well organized, they were, uh, they were permitted to own property. And as a union, they would collectively bargain for jobs. So if there was a project involving uh, the coppersmiths, the union would, take, uh, would, would sign up for the job, would try to get the job. Okay, And so it was very difficult then to make it as a tradesman by yourself in Thyatira unless you belong to one of these unions. You almost, you almost have to belong in order to survive. You won't get any business because they dealt with the unions directly. Thyatira was also a pagan city. And each of these trade unions were associated with a pagan god. And membership to the union involved participation in their pagan ceremonies and rituals. And some of those rituals are uh, very immoral. So in order to belong, you have to do what they did. Um, again, read Revelation 2.20. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself prophets to teach and seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. So though this church had many good causes, they've allowed themselves to compromise and commit idolatry. And we'll tell you why in a little bit. They allowed a woman to convince the, some of the church members to do what the Romans did in order to make it financially in Thyatira. You know that saying, when in Rome, do as the Romans. Okay, and I, I don't think, by the way, her name was Jezebel, uh, but I believe there was a woman there that was doing this. I don't think she was, uh, she, her name was Jezebel. Uh, I think God just didn't like her so much, called her Jezebel. The worst name for a woman in the Bible, amen? Because we know who she is, okay, and what she did. And so God, this Jezebel right here, all right? When, when you say that, you're not, um, ladies, when a person says that to you, they're not complimenting you. Okay, you're a Jezebel. Oh, thank you. 
So, so I don't think that was her name. That was a description of what she was. God gave her, in verse 21, an opportunity to get right with him, but she chose not to do so. In verse 22, because she would not get right with God, after God uh, told her to get right with him, God judged her. And verse 22, it says there, Behold, I will cast her into a bed. That word bed there is the idea of a bed of affliction and, sorrow, and, and suffering. So I will cast her into a bed. Well, how do you know that? Because of the context. Look at the rest of the verse. It talks about the followers. And them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. It was a judgment on Jezebel and also her followers. In verse 24, God says, You've been warned. And now, please stop what you're doing. And then, verse 25 to 28, God encourages the church to do, just do the right thing. Get your eyes on the future rewards and not the temporary comforts of this world. So that's the background of this church. Now, let's get a few lessons in. Apply it to our lives. And then we go home. First lesson. The end does not justify the means. The end does not justify the means. This woman, Jezebel, uh, was teaching God's people, hey, you know what, it's okay to bend a little. After all, God understands that you have to provide for your family. I mean, you got to join this trade unions. You're not going to make it otherwise. God understands. I know that in order to be a member, you have to you know, be involved in pagan worship. I know you're, we're Christians, but as long as our motive is good, God understands. And God will overlook that. He knows. I mean, you're just trying to be uh, the provider for your family. And man, you got to do what you got to do. And, uh, you know, God knows you're in between a rock and a hard place. And he understands that. You just do what you need to do. Turn to uh, 2 Kings chapter 5. Reminds me of this story of Naaman. Naaman, the captain of the host of Syria. 2 Kings chapter 5. And I think we know the story uh, somewhat here. The king of Syria had a general of the army. And uh, the Bible says he was a leper. He was a valiant, valiant man. He was a great general, but the Bible says he was a leper. And uh, when the opportunity was presented to the king of Syria to cure Naaman of this leprosy, there was a Jewish slave uh, girl, and says, you know, you know if, you're, if your captain would just go, go, go to Israel, you know, there's somebody there that can heal. He says, go to go. Remember, Pastor preached that message, go to go, all right? And, uh, and so that's the story there. And so the king of Syria sent a letter to the king of Israel. And says, I heard you can heal my, my captain, and he's coming, and would you do that? And the king of Israel said, you know what, look at what he's doing. He's being sneaky here, he's just trying to pick a fight. He knows I can't heal his captain. Elisha heard about it, and Elisha said, you know what, he's not talking about you. <laughs> he's talking about me, all right? Send him to me, okay? And uh, let Naaman come to me so he can know that there's a prophet in Israel. Okay, and we know the story. Uh, Naaman comes there, and uh, Elisha didn't even meet him. Didn't even go outside. He sent his servant and says, you know what? Tell him to go dip himself in the river Jordan seven times, and he's good. He got mad and said, what? I go all the way here, and, all I've, and you want me to just dip in this river? 
I mean, we have better rivers where, I, where I'm at. And he says, I thought he was going to put his hand on my forehead and say, be healed. You know, he wanted something spectacular. And his servant says, you know what? If he asked you to do that, you would have done it, right? How much more this? He says, just go to the river Jordan and dip yourself seven times. He says, okay. And he did. And guess what happened? He came out the river the seventh time. And his, the Bible says his skin was better than a baby's skin. Wow. I mean, he was so happy. You would be too, amen? Just all of a sudden, you're a leper, and all of a sudden, man, I'm healed. And so he goes back to Elisha. And verse 15, if I turn there, please. 2 Kings chapter 5. And he returned to the man of God, and he and all his company, and came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, now I know that there is, no, notice that statement, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now therefore I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. But he said, As the Lord liveth, Elisha said, Before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but refused. And so Elisha said, This is not time to, to get, uh, 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 receive gifts. Okay? And Naaman said, Shall there not then, I pray thee, be given to thy servant two mules burden of earth? For thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods, but unto the Lord. He says, you know what? Can I have two mules burden of dirt here? Israeli, Israeli dirt. I'm going to bring it to where I'm at. I'm going to build an altar there unto the Lord using the dirt. Okay? In this thing, now verse 18. In this thing, the Lord pardon thy servant, that when my master goeth into the house of Rimmon, that's the pagan god, to worship there, and he leaneth on my hand, and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon. When I bow my, myself down in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardon thy servant in this thing. Naaman said, I know there's only one God. There's only one true God. So that implies then everything else, everyone else are false gods. There's nobody else. And uh, so Elisha, because there's only one true God, can I have this Israeli dirt and so I can build an altar? But you know what, Elisha? I think God understands this, right? You know, I am the commanding general for the king. And he has to bring me to his God. And when he worships his God, God understands, right, if I bow down to the false God. You know, I don't want to lose my job. If I don't do that, the king may cast me out. The king may demote me. I'm reading that between the lines. That's in the Tagalog version there. <laughs> but I could just see the, the thinking in his head. It's like, if I don't do this, I'm going to lose my job. Let me say this. I don't think God understands. Because he says, abstain from all appearances of evil. If there is only one true God, what are we doing bowing down to false gods? What does that show? That you don't really believe that there's one true God. If God says, thou shalt not worship any other God beside me, so what are we doing bowing down to the gods of this world? God wants us to be separated from the world even when it might cause us financial loss. 
Even if it causes connections in high places. He said, you know what? I'll lose my influence. You know what? God says, you know what? If I'm the true God, why don't you just worship me then? Why do you have to bow down to the other gods? Is there not, is there, is there not only one God? Okay, then show it. I don't think God understands that. The fact is, well, you know what? I may lose my job and I may not be able to take care of my family. You know what? If I do that, if I don't go along with their, uh, with their parties and if I don't drink the, 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 the alcohol that they drink on, on their staff parties and all that, if I don't uh, do the activities that they do, you know what? They might look at me and say, you know what? We don't want you. We don't want to promote you. You know what? There's still only one true God. You see, um, our business dealings should not cause us our testimonies for Christ. You see, abstain from all appearances of evil. These Christians in Thyatira had no testimony. This, the ones are following this Jezebel. They had no testimony for Christ whatsoever. Why? If you looked at them, guess what they were doing? They were eating food sacrificed unto idols. They were committing idolatry. And spiritual adultery. So instead of saying, you know, we believe in the one true God. They say, well, you know what? Uh, maybe God can't take care of us. So you know what? Uh, I have to do what I got to do. I got to take care of my family, don't I? So I just got to go along with the program. No, you don't have to go along with the program. You don't have to compromise. And you don't have to behave like a heathen. To take care. By the way, it's not you that takes care of your family anyway. It's the one true God, amen? And so the end does not justify the means. Secondly, God's patience does not last forever. Revelation 2.21, again it says, And I gave her, Jezebel, space to repent of her fornication. And she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. May I say this? If there's something in our lives that we need to get right with God, do it right away. God gave this woman. By the way, God is merciful and gracious. I say, you know what? I'll give you time to get right. You're not doing right. This is wrong what you're doing. But I'll give you time to admit it and confess it. But she says, no, I'm just going to keep doing it. If there's something in our lives that we need to get right with God, we know is wrong, do it right away. God is patient with us, and God is understanding with us. But there is an end to his patient dealing with us. There is an end. The Bible says in Proverbs 29.1, He that being often, hard, often reproved hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly, be destroyed and that without remedy. The more we say no to God and the more we stiffen our neck before God, God says, eventually I'll stop reproving and I'll start judging. You see? And God says, suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. So, I don't know what it is in our lives this, uh, this evening. But you know what? Let's not live with it. Let's get it right. Because if we're children of God, guess what? He will have to deal with us. He can't let us have a bad testimony among the world. He has to deal with us. So, God's patience is not forever. 
next. God is not for women preachers. All right, let's pray. <laughs> I say, I was studying this, and this thought keeps coming. I said, God, this is not very popular. <laughs> and I, you know, kept thinking on the chapter, and this thought keeps coming. <laughs> it's like, God, people want to understand this, but it keeps coming. Yeah. Revelation two twenty. Now, I was standing up a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman. Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. It's implied there that she proclaimed herself an authority in the church. She calleth herself a prophetess. He says, I'm a prophetess. Listen to what I'm teaching. Now, a woman teacher does not belong to the church. Let me read you a passage. Please, don't get mad at me. Get mad at God. 1 Timothy 2.8. 1 Timothy 2.8. I will therefore that men... That's why we don't have a woman pastor. Okay? And as long as this is... Uh, this, the, our, our church is biblical, we, we can't have a woman pastor. Though I know you have women pastors. Uh, you know, not us, but you know, out there, there's women pastors. 1 Timothy 2.8. I don't know where they got the justification. They have to be a husband of one wife. Yeah. Try that. 1 Timothy 2.8. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands, without wrath and doubting. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broidered hair or gold or pearls or costly array, um, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let the women learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Nowadays, you read something like that and you say, Oh, so you're saying men are better. Has nothing to do with that. God did not make man better than the woman or the woman better than the man. God made us unique for different purposes. So God did not make man better and woman inferior. No, God made man a certain way for a certain task. And God made woman a certain way for a certain task. And from the beginning, it's always been that way. God had a purpose. And guess what? The highest calling for a man is God's purpose for his life. And the highest calling for a woman is God's purpose for her life. But that purpose is different. You see, you know, you, you hear some women say, you know what, well, women can do anything a man can do. That's not true. You know, uh, it's very rare to see a, a woman deadlift 500 pounds. If she does, man, whoa, <laughs> something wrong with that woman. <laughs> but I've seen men lift 500 pounds. You know why that is? God made man stronger physically. And God made women weaker physically. No, I, I want to hear the ladies say that. God made women weaker physically. I, don't, I didn't hear amen. See, see what I'm saying? You don't believe it. 
but it's true. Right? Okay? And again, so you're saying men are better. I didn't say it. Stop saying it. No. Uh, it means that we're created for a certain purpose. It's always been that way. Okay? In the beginning, God made them male and female. There's always only been two genders, by the way. It's always been male and female, man and woman. Okay, nowadays we got 23 different flavors. Is that Baskin Robbins? No, that's 32. <laughs> you know, all the colors of the rainbow. I mean, good night. No, it's always only two. Man and woman. And God created each one differently. And it's been like that. I mean, now we got women trying to look like men and men trying to look like women. And guess what? We're confused. And you know why it's important to know that there's a distinction? Because that's how God determines society to be run. Men, for the most part, are supposed to be the providers, the protectors, and the priests of the home. And live. This is, you don't like this, but it's in the Bible. The Bible says, I, you know, it's not good that man, should, that man should be alone. I will make him an help meet for him. The man was not created for woman. Woo! Praise God. The man was not created for woman. The woman was created for man. Some of you ladies are scary. <laughs> but it is true. And the sooner we learn that, the faster we get our churches right. I don't, I'm not sure about society as a whole now. We've flipped it over. We've flipped it. I mean, good night. Uh, um, even comic books. You have, you know, I guess the Avengers and, and all that. But there's the strongest one. Captain Marvel. I said, who's that? Who's Captain Marvel? And those who know that know it, Captain Marvel is a what? A woman. And she is supposed to be the strongest of all these superheroes. Captain Marvel. My family hates it when I watch, you know, those things because I would say, you know, that's not even true. I can beat her up. <laughs> Good night. I'd be ashamed if she beats me up. <laughs> you know, they hate it because I always comment the whole, ruin the whole thing. Because it ticks me off. Not because I'm better. We're created for two different purposes. And society would be much better if we just figure out what God wants for each gender. That's why you got women looking, trying to look like men because they think, you know what? No, I'm not happy with the role God gave me. I'm going to try to be this and vice versa. I was talking to somebody. He says, so what do you do? Oh, I'm a stay-at-home dad. I cringed. What is that? I, also, I was polite. My family thinks I'm always rude. Not always. <laughs> I just say what I think. That's why. But I'm a stay-at-home dad. I was thinking to myself, wow. 
what in the world is a stay-at-home dad? And he explained it to me. Well, my wife is, I think she says it's an attorney, and she goes to work, and while she's at work, I take care of the kids. I didn't, I didn't tell him anything. I said, God bless you, man. Praise the Lord. <laughs> no, I didn't say praise the Lord. <laughs> but, you know, like, we're confused. Now, some of you get mad because you're saying, what, you think I can't do that? You think I can't be a provider? I didn't say that. I'm just saying, what is it that God wants? Why don't we just do what God wants and figure out our place? God is a God of order. And he's placed order in the home. You can argue with it all you want to, but it's in the Bible. You see, that's why the way we look has to show that distinction. A man ought to look like a man, and a woman ought to look like a woman. Amen. All right, now that you got, got are you still here? Amen. You're still happy? And then this will help you out. Live with the future in mind. The last verses in Revelation 22, 25, God talks about be an overcomer, and I'll give you power in the nation. We're going to rule and reign with Christ. Amen. And uh, I'll give you authority just like my father gave you. I'll give you the morning star. Don't give up now. We need to serve God more and not less. We need to live for God more and not less. We need to love God more and not less. And you need to hate the preacher less and not more. I would say that sometimes I, I teach Sunday school lesson and, you know, it's maybe something like this. I was telling them, I love you guys before I, you know, before I bow down prayer. But because I do. You know, I guess I could go ahead and just make it smooth. And, but that text spoke to my heart about that. And so because it did, I tried to get out of it, really. I was depressed all day, amen. <laughs> God, can't believe I got to say that, you know. God, really. Okay, I'm happy now. Because you're, you're mad. <laughs> Just kidding. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.